All right, everybody good? You guys ready? All right. So I feel like every December, um, somehow I end up in some type of Christmas passage. And it's never my intention to talk about Christmas. Um, it's not that I wouldn't want to. I just, I just don't start out that way. But it feels like every, every December there's a thought that's in my mind. And as I go into the scriptures to try to figure out what God is saying, it always ends up being, I, I, I realize, oh, it's a Christmas passage and it's December. So that's what we're doing this morning. If you have a Bible, you can open up to Matthew chapter 2. We are going to start in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ, or Messiah, was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me so that I may come and worship him also. That was a lie. He didn't want to. (laughs) when they heard the king they departed and behold the star which they had seen in the east went before them until it came and stood over where the young child was and when they saw the star they rejoiced with exceeding great joy and when they had come into the house they saw the young child with mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him, and when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Okay, thanks for hanging with me (laughs) in that long uh, story, but it's so good. Um, So it's important for us to understand that at the time that Jesus was born, it wasn't just the Jews who were aware of the prophecy that a king would be born in Israel who would rule the nations, okay? If you, pretty much anyone who had any type of powerful position during the time was aware of this, okay? So there were a lot of prophecies, one of the most significant of which came from a Jewish wise man, man named Daniel and he was he was interpreting a dream of a very powerful king of Babylon at the time named Nebuchadnezzar and this is recorded in Daniel chapter 2 and in that dream Nebuchadnezzar 
or God prophesied to Nebuchadnezzar in that dream the rise and fall of four kingdoms starting with Babylon. And then it said in the time of the fourth kingdom, God is going to establish and build his kingdom and it's going to become a mountain that fills the whole earth. So when Jesus was born, it was during the time of that fourth kingdom. Okay, so the whole world was aware. Now these wise men were not kings, but they were greatly respected advisors to kings. They were men of immense um, influence whose words and, and actions carried great weight with kings. So when they arrived into Jerusalem, they were likely surrounded by an entourage of a military escort. And their presence in the city caused the whole city to be in an uproar. Okay? You guys okay so far? So everyone thinks that the wise men followed this star all the way on their whole journey to where Jesus was born. But the language here tells us that actually the star appeared and then it disappeared again for a little while and it didn't appear again until they started toward Bethlehem. Okay, that is why when they saw it again, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And it's also why they ended up in Jerusalem because they assumed that a king who was going to be born in Israel would be born in Jerusalem. Okay, but then when they got there, no one knew what they were talking about. Okay, so these wise men had seen all of these signs that a king was going to be born. But they were not going to be satisfied with just the signs and just knowing that he was born. They needed to find him. Even though it was going to take a long time and they were going to have to travel a long distance. And when they got there, no one knew what they were talking about. They needed to, they weren't, they didn't want to just settle for knowing or for seeing a sign. They wanted to find him. And to me, the most significant thing about them is not that they needed to find Jesus. The most significant thing about them is why they needed to find Jesus. Because they didn't need to find Jesus. They weren't committed to find him so that he could validate that they were right. Because that didn't happen. They weren't looking for Jesus for what he could do for them. They were looking for Jesus because they had something to give him. Because they needed to see him and recognize him as king before the whole rest of the world saw him. Because anyone can see glory when it's manifested. But it takes a wise man to see glory in a seed when what it will become is still hidden from the world. Okay? You guys okay so far? <laughs> it is the, Proverbs 25 2 says it is the glory of God to conceal a matter but it is the glory of kings to search it out do we want to see the glory in the seed while what it will become remains hidden from the rest of the world okay so this glorious moment in history happened and the people of God were mostly unaware of it um, perhaps because it didn't happen the way that they were expecting it to happen but that's the thing about new eras 
when you're in a new era, things don't happen in the new era like they did in the old era. Okay? So the people of God in this time, they were really busy with their daily lives and they were struggling to survive in a really bad economy under an oppressive Roman regime and a really terrible king. And what they were looking for was someone to rescue them. And while they certainly needed rescue, what the wise men were looking for was a king that they could find favor with. Okay, do you see the difference? Okay, so sometimes I feel like that we miss the glory of the moment that we're in right now because we are either looking for old signs of glory in a new time or we keep waiting to be rescued. We keep trying to hold on. Maybe something will change. Maybe the next election will make it better. Maybe my next job will make me happy. Maybe the next conference, God will rescue me. And after Jesus has already rescued us, we keep waiting on him to to rescue us again. And the thing is that he he, he did come to rescue us, but he didn't come to just rescue us. He came to rescue us and empower us. If it was all about rescue, he would just take us to be with him the moment that we're saved. But he didn't just come to be our savior, he came to be our king. Okay? So sometimes we've got to stop waiting on rescue and realize we've already been rescued. It's time to be empowered. It's time to stop looking for a savior and know that we've already been saved. It's time to look for a king that we can find favor with. Okay? You guys okay? So I want to talk today about what it means to encounter Jesus as king. Because I I believe that the story of the wise men show us how encountering Jesus as king will break a poverty spirit. (laughs) Okay? Okay, you guys okay? (laughs) Encountering God as father will break an orphan spirit. Encountering God as master will break a spirit of entitlement. Encountering Jesus as Savior will break the curse of sin. Encountering Jesus as King will break a poverty spirit. Okay? You know, Jeremy reminded us last week of all these things that that God has been saying to us and all these words that we have that that God has given us to to steward and and to believe and to declare and to hold on to. And one of the things that he's been saying for a really long time and we've talked about and he's just, he just keeps getting louder is that he wants to show us how to break the spirit of poverty. Okay? So actually when I started this whole thing, this isn't where I was going to go. <laughs> this is where we ended up. Okay? So you guys okay? You ready? So we like to talk at Christmas about the wise men and how they brought gifts to Jesus and how it means that we're supposed to give gifts, especially to Jesus during the time of Christmas. And we have all these nice little stories about how, what the wise men's gift represented, right? 
The gold represented his kingship, and the frankincense represented his deity, and the myrrh represented his humanity. And all these things are good, and all these things are true. But sometimes I think that we treat these gifts as purely symbolic. And we forget the fact that these were actual gifts given by wealthy men to a king. Okay? So um, when it says that the wise men opened up their treasures and presented gifts to Jesus, these were not little symbolic trinkets. Okay? The, the language, the, the word for treasures means like a storehouse or a treasure chest. And when it says that they gave gifts, um, there are several words in the Greek for gift. And the one that's used here is not just the, the common, the Greek word for the common gift that you would give your friend or that you would give somebody. It's a word that means they gave sacrificially. And so the picture here is not that they just opened up these like nice little bitty like trinkets that were symbolic of what they saw in him. The, the picture is they had treasure chests and they opened up their treasure chest and they gave to Jesus lavishly and sacrificially. So what happened to all that? Because we just think, oh, the wise men, they came and dropped their symbolic gifts, and isn't that cute? And then they left, and then, like, life went on as normal. Because we like to think of Jesus as poor, right? Oh, and he was born as a baby, was in a manger, and then, like, when a follower came to him, he said he didn't have any place to lay his head, so he was homeless. And then, like, he was buried in a borrowed tomb, and Jesus was poor, And the truth is that when he was born, he was born to parents who would have been considered poor. But when the wise men came to Jesus, all that changed. And God the Father made sure that Jesus' parents had everything that they needed so that Jesus could grow grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And so that he could build his kingdom. The thing is, the reason that we don't see this is because Jesus didn't build his kingdom like men build their kingdoms. And he didn't measure wealth like other men measure wealth. The truth is that that Jesus didn't spend his life um, accumulating wealth. He stewarded his life, he spent his life stewarding wealth and pouring it out to build his kingdom. And whatever he needed, in any moment, not only did he, did he have access to, to, to money for whatever he needed, he had access to anything else that he needed. So whatever he needed, he just, he just had to do. Okay? So if he, when, he, when he was at a wedding party and they ran out of wine, he just turned water into wine. When he needed to pay taxes, he said, go and catch a fish and there will be coins in the fish's mouth to pay taxes. And when he needed to feed a multitude, he just took five loaves and two fishes, and he fed a multitude. And when he needed to get to the other side of a lake during a storm, he quieted the winds and the waves. And when he needed to get to his disciples who were in the middle of uh, the lake and he had no boat, he just walked on the water. Whatever he needed, he had access to. He didn't have a home because he didn't need a home. 
but he had everything that he needed. He was buried in a borrowed grave because he only needed to borrow it for three days. He only needed a borrowed tomb. Come on. Jesus was not poor. He was far from poor. Jesus had everything that he ever needed to do anything that he needed to do to advance the kingdom of God on the earth. All right? <laughs> it's pretty fun, right? <laughs> All right, so let's talk about how we can break the poverty spirit, okay? When King Herod heard that the wise men were looking for Jesus, he immediately called all of the religious leaders together, and he asked them, hey, where is it that the Messiah is going to be born? You see, Herod knew that this king was not just any person, that he was the Messiah. So he should have been rejoicing that the Messiah was born, Instead, he was filled with, he was troubled, he was paranoid, and he was fearful. And his fear was, if this is king of the Jews, then will he take away what I have? Okay? So the first, the first sign that we have a, a poverty spirit is a fear of losing. It's a fear of not having enough. Or a fear that everything that I've worked really hard for will be taken away from me. Okay? So Herod was a king. He was friends with the Romans. He had riches. He was well connected. He was very powerful. And yet he had a poverty spirit. Okay? Because a poverty spirit can be a ruling force whether you have a lot or you don't have a lot. Because it shows up if, if we are constantly measuring out what we give with the fear that if I give, I'm losing or I will lose, that's a poverty spirit. Okay? Does that make sense? The wise men, on the other hand, they knew that this king that was being born was not just going to be king of the Jews, but he was going to be king of the world. And yet they sought him out, not because they were afraid of what was going to be taken away from them, but because they wanted to show him what they could give. Because wise men know that wealth is not measured by what we possess, but by what we can give. Okay? Does that make sense? So these wise men had been around kings all of their life. And so they would have known the favor associated with giving gifts to a king. Giving gifts to a king was not about what was required. It was about favor. Okay? So in that time, in that world, whatever wealth you had, whatever position you had, if you didn't have favor with the king, it was only temporary. Okay? So sometimes I think that, that we, we can approach Jesus like a kingmaker. And we want him to make kings of us. And then we live in fear that we will lose what we have. And, and we have it backwards. Because Jesus is the king of kings. And he has already made kings of us. And we can never lose that. 
So whatever it is that we might lose, we will gain even more because nothing that we are can ever be taken away. Okay? Does that make sense? So we have to stop living in fear of what we will lose and stop waiting to be rescued. And we need to start looking for the glory of a king that we have favor with. Because when we're constantly looking to him to make kings of us, and that is that translates to like whatever it is that we think is successful, we're already in the poverty spirit. We already are kings. And, and we fear losing it because we don't understand that we already have favor with the king. We can't lose it. Okay, does that make sense? When we encounter him as king, it breaks a poverty spirit. Okay? All right. So number one, I think, is uh, we anticipate the joy of favor with him Breaking the fear of what we will lose. We already are kings. And when we give, we are, we are not losing. We are demonstrating our wealth. When we give, we are expanding our territory. When we give, we're making room. Okay? Because we don't lose. We just keep gaining. We just keep winning. Okay? All right. Second thing. When Herod called all the religious leaders together and he asked them, hey, where's the Messiah going to be born? They had the right answer. Right? They're like, oh, yeah, we got the prophetic word right here. We got it written down. We're holding on to it. We'll pull it out, we can give it to you. Here's, here's the prophetic word. Here's the right answer. And yet when the wise men left for Bethlehem, not one of those religious leaders went with them. There was no curiosity. There was no, I just have to know if this is the one. I wonder if it's because they were tired. You can almost hear the the weariness in their tone. Oh, yeah, we got the answer. Oh, yeah, we got the word. Oh, yeah, we've heard that this is the one about a hundred times. And if anything comes of it, then we'll get excited. But right now, we're just going to stay in the comfort of what we know. And we're just going to do just enough to get by. And we're going to do just what's required of us. And we're going to stay, I call this the comfort of unexpectation. Okay? The weariness of disappointment. I just, I just don't want to get my hopes up again. I've been disappointed too many times. It's a poverty Spirit. Okay, the wise men, on the other hand, stayed in wonder. Even though when they found Jesus, it wasn't what they expected. Not because he was a child, but because he was in a common house 
in Bethlehem, born to common parents with very few resources. And yet, they still, when they saw it, it wasn't what they expected, and they still opened up their treasures and poured them out. Because they didn't let circumstances define their wonder. And they didn't get in a weariness of disappointment. So if we want to break a poverty spirit, then we can't let circumstances steal our wonder. And we can't allow ourselves to get in a comfort of unexpectation. Like, wake me up when something happens. I've heard it too many times. The comfort of unexpectation is a poverty spirit. So weariness will lead to a routine of unfruitfulness. Weariness will lead to a routine of unfruitfulness. Instead, we know that when we encounter him as king, kings can rise victorious in any circumstance. And when the wise men saw Jesus and they poured out their treasure, it's almost like they were full of even more wonder because they were like, this isn't what we were expecting, but man, If a king can rise from this, he can rise from anything. We got to stay in wonder of expectation. Okay, so that's number two. We are consumed with endless wonder of him breaking the weariness of unfruitfulness. You guys okay? All right. The next thing, the wise men were determined to find Jesus, as we have said, because they had something to give him. So they saw the worth in their gifts, okay? So a lot of people see the worth of Jesus and what he can do for them. And then there are people who are just bystanders, or just, just want to do enough to get by, just want to do what's required. And then there are people who see themselves as investors and as builders of the kingdom and as people who have something valuable to contribute to the kingdom, okay? Now, that might sound arrogant to you, but the truth is that we all have something of immense value and worth to give to the king, and we have that because he put it in us or he gave it to us, okay? So to say that I don't have anything valuable to contribute is to discredit the worth of what he gave us. And the price he paid to give it to us. Okay? So we all have something valuable to bring to him. We have, we have to find where he's moving and where the glory is because we have something valuable to offer. Okay? And when we get stuck in this, in this um, mentality of inadequacy or I'm not enough or I don't have enough and all this kind of stuff, that is a poverty spirit. Okay? You guys okay? Like... We, we like to talk about the, the gifts of the wise man and what they represented to Jesus, but let's think for a minute what they represent to the giver, which is us, okay? So they had gold, and gold symbolizes wealth or financial investments, okay? So here's the deal. I don't care if we have millions or we have thousands or we have hundreds or we have pennies, What matters is when we give to a king, it becomes wealth. 
just like our offerings become holy in his hands, our whatever we're investing becomes wealth in his hands. We have to see that. Um, We'll come back to that, okay? (laughs) Okay, we have to see ourselves as whatever it is we're giving, it's wealth in his hands, okay? Number two, frankincense. Frankincense symbolizes or represents our worship and our prayers, okay? In the temple, they would burn incense on the golden altar, and the smoke would rise up as, like, the symbol of, like, our prayers and our worship rising to God, and in Revelation chapter 5, when it's describing a scene in heaven, it says there are golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Okay? Our prayers matter. Our worship matters. They are valuable investments in the kingdom. So when you pray, pray like you're praying to a king. Pray like you're an investor. Pray like you're a builder. Pray like every word that comes out of my mouth, I am building something eternal. I am building the kingdom. My prayers matter. They're doing something. They're wealth in his hands. And every time that I worship, whatever it is I am saying about him is like a sword that comes out straight to the heart of the enemy. And it causes him to stumble backwards and lose ground because I am filling the earth with the worship of the king of kings. It matters. I'm an investor. I'm not just here to worship him expecting to be rescued. I've already rescued I'm here because I'm building something. I'm investing in something. I'm doing something powerful. I'm doing something eternal. I'm doing something valuable. I'm doing something that matters. Okay, you guys good? (laughs) Myrrh. Myrrh symbolizes our preparation. Because you know that um, it's Christmas, right? So if any of you have had to wait like me, more than three days for something you order online to come in, you think, like, it's an eternity, right? (laughs) Get it together, okay? (laughs) Because we live in such a now instant culture, and sometimes we lose our value for preparation. When Esther um, was preparing for an audience with the king, she spent months bathing in myrrh. And because she learned the value of preparation, later when the time came, every word out of her mouth, every decision she made had perfect timing. Because she didn't just need to do everything now really fast. She knew the value of preparation. And then whenever she needed something from the king, he said, whatever you need, half my kingdom, it's yours. The value of preparation before you come before the king. Okay? We have to commit ourselves to preparation because if we have this idea that whatever we're looking for is delayed because we are inadequate, that's a poverty spirit. Okay? We have to see the value of preparation. You see, Joseph had a lot of what we would call setbacks in Egypt. Okay? He was at home with his family, he had favor with his father, and he had this dream, I'm going to be head of my family. And then he gets sold into slavery. And he ends up in the house of a really important man named, Pot- named Potiphar, 
and he finds favor with Potiphar, and then he becomes head of the household of Potiphar. And he becomes falsely accused, and he gets thrown into prison. And he finds favor with the, with the uh, master of the prison, and, he, and the prison master makes him head over the whole prison. And then he gets forgotten by the guy who said he was going to remember him when he got out of prison. And then finally, the guy remembers him, and he interprets the dream for Pharaoh, and he becomes second in command of all, of all of Egypt. And we look at that, and we think, man, like, Joseph just can't catch a break. Like, every time he finds favor, like, something bad happens. Or is it that everything that he did was preparing him? Because he thought he was going to be head of his family, and then God promoted him to be head of a household of a very powerful man. And then God promoted him to be head over a whole prison. And then God promoted him to be head over Egypt. And he never would have been ready to be head over Egypt if he had not been willing to commit himself to the preparation. Okay? Let's come back to the value of preparation. Sometimes it's not about what we're doing wrong. Sometimes it's the value of preparation. If we think that breaking the poverty spirit is about having abundance, it's not. You say, oh, doesn't God want us to have abundance? Absolutely. But if we think that breaking the spirit is about us having abundance, it's not. Breaking the poverty spirit is about us being able to give abundantly. And you might say, well, don't you have to have abundance to give abundance? That's backwards. Breaking the poverty spirit says, whatever I have to give, it is abundance. And I will give it with an abundant heart. And then God can, uh, it becomes wealth in his hands. And then that is who God trusts to give more and more and more and more, okay? Someone who is free of a poverty spirit sees everything they give as an investment and as wealth. I don't care if it's 50 cents or $100 or a million dollars. All of it is wealth in his hands. And when we realize that, We've broken the poverty spirit, okay? And that's true of that. That's true of um, our prayers, our gifts, what we bring him. And that's not just like money gifts. That's like the gifts that's inside us, that's serving, that's investing in his kingdom, in his house, in his mission on the earth, okay? You guys okay? Let's stand up. Um, listen, if, uh, if any of that was like, oh yeah, that, that, man, I needed that, you know, me too. (laughs) Because sometimes there's so much, so many questions and so much confusion and Sometimes we get weary 
Sometimes we get tired. Sometimes we have questions. And the wonderful thing about Jesus is like it only takes like just this glimpse of him, just this moment in his presence to just bring us back to the worth of him. And because of the worth of him, the worth of us. So I just want to give you guys like an opportunity this morning to just close your eyes. Sure. 